It's time for the Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul Daly here with my wife, Caroline. Hey, guys. And today we're here to discuss the second episode of the second season of Westworld. This one was called The Reunion. I feel like it could be a numerous amount of people who have gotten back together again. Uh, We got a chance to see Arnold and Dolores. We got a chance to see William and Dolores. We got a chance to see Dolores and Maeve. We had quite a bunch of, I would say, of connections there. Reunions of sorts. The fuller meaning will probably be like, oh, that's what they meant by the time the finale comes (laughs) out. But these are pretty good connections for now. Absolutely. So if you guys remember in season one, we had multiple timelines. And in season two, we're dealing with even more more timelines. So for those of you who are having a little bit of a hard time keeping track of everything, we're going to actually combine the events by timeline. So right now, Paul and I are thinking we're working off of four different timelines. So we have timeline one, which it would be pre-Delos owning um, the park, and that would be more Ford and Arnold's early days, or maybe even the, the ending days of Ford and Arnold would be more accurate. Then we have the second timeline, which is right after season one the third timeline which is the two weeks after um dolores kills ford and then we have this two week span that we know is happening and then that fourth timeline would be when bernard and Stubbs and strand are all standing on that beach and all the hosts are dead including teddy floating in the water so we're going to kind of chunk it out for you guys and hope that that helps you guys make a little bit of sense of this very layered season. All right, so let's kick it off. We're going to do the Wayback Machine parts first. That's my Wayback Machine. Arnold, Dolores, and Ford's voice. Did that sound like the real Anthony Hopkins to you or someone kind of doing a pretty passable Anthony Hopkins impression? It was interesting. And and the way that they even did the shadow puppet routine with him, where he was like in shadow, like like his mouth was moving, but it didn't necessarily match the words. I mean, creative computer, you know, simulation of him in that uh, very off camera kind of way. I don't know if do you think Anthony Hopkins is not doing anything with the series anymore? Is that this was that the sitch he was one and done? And so now in order to do anything with him, I mean, I remember in season one, they did that thing where they had the younger body, but they like transposed his face CGI style on him. Yeah, I think he's done. I mean, I could imagine maybe he's just wicked expensive. You Ooh, know, that's true. So and maybe other commitments and such wouldn't be crazy. So, all right, we have Arnold, and I heard a lot of people say that they're still struggling trying to figure out when is it Arnold and when is it Bernard. So I'm going to give you guys a little um, hint from the dailies. We turn on closed caption, and by doing that, it always says Arnold, colon, and then whatever he's saying, or it'll say Bernard, colon, and then whatever he's saying. And so if you want to double check whether or not you're watching a Bernard or an Arnold, Hit your closed caption and watch it, and that will give you your clue in. Of course, obviously, in this scene, Ford says, Arnold, are you ready? (laughs) So then that's more apparent. So they're getting ready for a Dolores and Pony show. Nice. I like what you did there. Yeah, you like that? Beautiful. And for whatever reason, Arnold decides Dolores is not up to it tonight. Well, he takes Dolores on this tour of his would-be 
home, which we can assume is going to be with his wife and his son, Charlie. And he is showing her the city, which appears to be um, an Asian city. We're not exactly sure if this is uh, Japan or just an island, perhaps in the South South Pacific. Um, but we know for sure that Westworld, based on episode one, is on an island in the South Pacific. If you remember, we had the Asian uh, military officer kind of barking at Strand and everything, you know, and he was like, right. get off my island and all that business going on. Um, so, and he says, I want to try to create a home life that's closer to my work. Mm -hmm. Right. So we're thinking he spends so much time at the park. This is the closest he can get them to the park since they probably can't live in the park with him. So now is yeah. this the first time that we're realizing that Arnold takes his work home? This is probably highly irregular. I mean, we see how this plays out a little later. The other humans in that scene are also kind of wigged out that <laughs> that there's robots out in the world. So I would imagine that this is like way under the radar and something that, that they don't. Well, that, this that is pre-Delos. So in this case, I mean, who, who are they hiding it from? There's no there's nobody above the management wise. So if they want to bring them home, they can bring them home. Like who's going to say they can't? And certainly Ford knows that Arnold's got Dolores there. Well, and they need investors, obviously. I mean, this is going to be, a, whatever they're doing is expensive, right? Absolutely. So they have this party. And since they opt to not send Dolores along, then instead they send our favorite host, Angela, which we all remembered was the same hostess, if you will, who welcomed William to the Westworld experience. We're figuring that in the when they were still in the hotel bedroom, when they agree that, that Dolores isn't ready and to just use the other girl, mm -hmm. that the other girl that they're talking about is Angela. I absolutely believe that. So they go to this party and they are supposed to be having, like you said, a dog and pony show for Logan, as it turns out, which is super interesting because they, they introduce themselves. It's Angela and it's another I'm going to call her male co-host which if you guys recognize him he was a host that was playing a warrior in Ghost Nation so there if you watch the still shots you can see he has like all the makeup on but it's clearly him at first I thought it was Kissy but I recognized that I knew it wasn't Kissy but I was like on the right track like I saw him and I was like he, he has a very distinctive familiar ethnic profile he totally say. does and and in that i mean it's like and i knew that the character um was played by an actor for kissy who had actually passed away in real life so I knew this wasn't him but it was just like something is up with this now what was super <laughs> interesting like ghost something ghost no i just knew ghost it was like kissy a, ghost nation. shut up you no more like i knew it was a warrior of some sort that had come from the land but i couldn't place him and I didn't really feel like I got to know my Ghost Nation hosts so well. You know, I didn't feel like I had a good sit down with those guys. They weren't ever really featured. No, they really weren't. So what's interesting about you calling it a dog and pony show or a Dolores and pony show is that they introduce themselves as the Argos Initiative. Argos, as we turns out, has two historical meanings. One we think is very close. One we think is not very close. Not very close. Odysseus's dog from the Odyssey. Probably not 
the right Argos. But I don't dislike it because you said a dog and pony show and Argos is a dog. And so <laughs> I think that's funny. Also, though, I think the idea of bringing in the Odyssey and the idea of like this quest. To that, get home. Uh-huh. Right. Holy mackerel. Come on. How could you not point at that? I invite you guys to go check it out. It's spelled A-R-G-O-S. Go, go search this on Google. The other thing we found out was that Argos was the name of a 100-eyed giant. Also from Greek mythology, the hundred eyes. It, it was he was assigned to watch over one of the nymphs that Zeus was fooling around with. So Hera sent the hundred-eyed monster to go look after her, to be like, keep an eye on her. I don't want Zeus sniffing around her business. So who knows? I'm I'm not sure what that's all about. But I do recall that the idea of 50 hosts comes up a whole bunch in season one. I know it's something that Sizemore asks for, but then there's other points in time when they say, like, we only have 50 hosts. 50 hosts. Well, 50 hosts would equal 100 eyes. Also, we were kind of guessing that there might have been roughly 50 people at that party for Logan. The party looked like it was about 50 people. That was the right number. Again, 100 eyes, if you will. So super intriguing. We have this um, meet and greet for Logan, who's all pissy because he feels like there's too many people here and they're trying to schmooze him in front of all these people. And there's really only one host in the room. And he's supposed to figure out which one it is. And then Angela pulls the ultimate party trick. You know, it's so funny that he he has a quote at the end of the episode where he talks about fools fiddling. Mm-hmm. But they played him like a fiddle. Mm-hmm. Hats off, really. I don't I don't know what you think about Ben Barnes as an actor, but I think he's got a lot of charisma on screen. And he had to play himself as two different guys this episode, you know? So that's kind of, I think that's a pretty good range. There was, there was cocky Logan yeah. in this scene. I mean, beyond cocky. This is, if we thought somehow that Westworld Logan from first season was this cocky, hard to be around son of a bitch kind of guy. It turns out he's actually not that far off from, from the persona he uses in public. I agree with you. I mean, it's, it's every time, if you guys remember every time he's in Westworld, every time they show him making an entrance into the scene, he's zipping up his zipper. (laughs) That's what kind of dude this guy is. So in this case, he does the exact same thing and decides the only way for him to figure out whether Angela's party trick of turning off what turns to be out the rest of the party, like on mute and freeze, uh, is that, uh, of course, she's going to have to have sex with him. Well, I mean, if you're going to take anything out for a test drive, you have to have sex with it. That's true in cars. It's true in women. It's just one of those night, Irene. Well, so one of the things that I wanted to make sure to mention is that with Dolores not going to the party, she does have an opportunity to look around a lot more with Arnold. And she continuously uses that line where she says, it looks like stars are scattered on the ground. Have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? She says that over and over again. And I feel like it was because she repeated herself and in a way that was like very scripted that that's why Arnold said she's not ready. Not her, not this one. Um, Mm -hmm. And like kind of held her back. And that's why Angela went because obviously she was way more smooth. She's on point. Way more smooth. Also, did you know who the piano player was at Logan's party? Clem. I know. When I, you know what the sick thing is? We've seen them all naked so much and from behind because they sit on those stools that as soon as they showed her from behind with that like pretty much backless dress, I was like, oh, it's Clem. Like I knew her as well as I knew her face because of, you know, we just have seen them nude oh so much. Structurally, 
this is going to have this show is going to wind up being a lot like Lost. And if you remember watching Lost, you'd go a few, you know, you'd see someone die in one episode, right? Yeah. And then next season, you see them in someone else's flashback or something to that effect. Right. You know? and, and in a strange mixing of worlds, not unlike how Lost would have characters like come in into different scenes. Uh, it was really strange when we had Angela getting out of bed with Logan and Dolores is like peeping in the door. Yeah, that was weird. And they gave each other like a strange look. And it was like, ooh. I guess it makes sense that that they would... Uh, they would what? Why would, would Dolores be like peeping around at what we assume is at Logan's? Well, I I was I was assuming that when Argos, our, a.k.a. Arnold and Ford's company, mm-hmm. set up shop in town for the dog and pony show, they said they were in a hotel that and it happened to be the same hotel where they were having the said show. What's Arnold's last name? Barnold. Oh, Arnold Barnold. Yeah. I say that because Argos, like A R, and then I was thinking like G O S, that's not Ford and it's not Robert and it's not whatever. I was trying to think if there was some sort of like, you know, play on their names like Arnold and Argos and you know if there was something there. But I don't know. I'm gonna have to noodle on it. You guys think about that. I feel like it's a clue. I feel it's a clue, people. Okay, so then our way back storyline takes a jump, and that jump is all of season one. <laughs> so, well, so we get into the second timeline that we're following right now, which yeah. is right after season one when William comes back from his adventures. And Logan is out of the picture because he was found riding around naked, uh, probably ranting about all the bad shit that Billy had done to him while they were on vacation. Do you think that it's possible that, you know, they show that he's like shooting up drugs and stuff. Do you think that it's possible that he, I don't know, you know how they do stuff? Like we we watch The Sinner and um, spoiler alert, if you haven't watched The Sinner, fast forward a couple of minutes here, but you know how they like purposely made her on drugs? Yeah. I wonder if there was any subterfuge to actually create an addict out of Logan using Westworld. You know, like maybe drugs or something are not supposed to cause as much problems for you if you use something in Westworld. But wouldn't it make sense if William had actually created the problem, like basically taken Logan out of the running for becoming the head of Delos? He is mm. awfully diabolical in this one. I mean, I, I really have a very different feel for William than I did last season. Yeah, the Logan part, I took it just less involved in that just that he had become basically an affluent directionless you know hanger on at that point i just wondered why i wondered why if it was because you know the idea that i mean he was very driven as a businessman he he was like this is my company this is this is our family's company and he was not going to let william just take it away from him and then now let's get there let's get there first because we need to talk about why this is all happening, why he's shooting up. And it's because of this conversation in Sweetwater with Jim and William post season one, where Jim is Logan's dad. Right. Somehow he's this very Scottish man. Extremely Scottish. With a son with no accent at all. And uh, or even really any resemblance. (laughs) Um, Uh, I don't know. You probably need to stand those guys side by side. They do a good job on casting. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think they just wanted a, a crusty Scottish guy to be the the man, and they did. They got a guy, and so they have a conversation. It's cool because the helicopter flies over, and all the hosts just freeze, and and they're in the middle of their 
of their primary loops, right? The can dropping on the ground, Teddy picking it up, blah, blah, blah. And they stop. And Jim's like, convince me why this is a good idea because uh, Logan thought this was great, but I think I think he made a bad decision here. And William, remember last season when the I can't remember her name, but the director and Sizemore they're talk they're talking. Sizemore's kind of bluffing about he knows that the park is more than what it appears to be, and she's like, oh yeah, okay, well tell me what you it mean is. Cullen? Yes, Cullen. Okay, yeah. And and so he doesn't know what it's for. And so she, and then they just kind of allude to the idea that the park is for more than whatever. And this scene starts to let us in on, and I hope this is not the end of this mystery. They're basically saying that Westworld is a gigantic market research establishment. Like it's an, it's a, it's a way to just suck in what people really want and really will decide to do when they think no one's looking. Which I kind of is... hope that it's more because <laughs> because it kind of it's a it's a season long mystery at this point. Right. So I would say that um, that in addition, though, like we know that they're harvesting DNA. And so we know that there's some other layer to this. Definitely that Charlotte. Um, that's right. I didn't to... think about it, but that's gross, right? I mean, yeah, it's people are putting gross. putting willingly putting DNA inside in, hosts in and the then, prostitute host. Uh huh. And then they're harvesting it, and we don't know what they're using that for yet. And so, I mean, I've heard a myriad of theories, including they are they are cloning higher level dignitaries and basically then putting them the host back out into the world in those like maybe as like the president or maybe as you know like important. Uh, corporate heads or whatever, and they're all being then controlled. Did you hear last week when when Mike and I mentioned that Hale stands to be something that she doesn't appear to be because she's way too young to be as cool and elevated? Oh, I don't. I think she's a host. I've told you since the beginning that I think she's a host. I thought she was a host this entire time. Like, I, I definitely, I mean, there are so many question marks about who's host and who's not. And, and it, I'm going to continue to maintain. I mean, they played out that Logan party for all of us to go like, uh, der, everyone's a host. Yeah. You know, and so then in that way, it's like, uh, I kind of feel like on a bigger stage, there's a fair chance that almost everybody's a host. And it actually makes sense, more sense than if they were humans bumbling around here. You know, it actually doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense that Charlotte has been going along with this at such a young age. So going back to this idea that they're trying to capture people's true desires because they don't feel like anyone is watching. I feel kind of mixed emotions on this because I don't feel like people are being insincere in the way that they behave when we are a part of like civilized society, like maybe you're standing there with your spouse and your kids and your parents and you're acting one way, say at church or out to dinner or something. I don't think you're being insincere. If then at a later time you're out with just your friends and you're like louder and more silly and more whatever, like I don't think one's your more true self and the other one is like not sincere. You know, I think that that's sort of like a mis misnomer that they are like trying to say that like everyone would just wig out at a restaurant and just like eat with their hands and everything if there wasn't rules. And I'm saying like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I don't think I'm doing it to be proper or something exactly. I think I'm doing it because that's the way that, you know, I feel like comfortable, you know, do you understand what I'm saying? Like they're trying to make it sound like whatever your most primal 
things are. Like if you would kill someone or have sex with someone or rape someone or do whatever, then that's who you are 24 seven. And I'm like, I don't know if that's true. Like, are you allowed to have varying sides of yourself? Are you allowed to sort of let loose versus like not? And is one a more true self versus not? And then what if you are collecting this data, right? And it's telling you these things that are based on people not holding themselves back. Then what is it that you, what are you possibly preparing to sell them? I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. And, and and here's the other thing too. I would not say that Westworld specifically, and I'm going to guess Samurai World and Roman World and all these other things. All of these are actually very conflict-driven settings. You know, the old Wild West is all about gun battles, um, all about these saloon girls. Um, you know, Roman world is going to be all about, you know, gladiators and fighting and stuff. So in a way, it's like you set them into the setting that is revolving around the idea of battling. And then you're like, look, they battled. That's always what they wanted to do. And you're like, right. well, I mean, maybe. <laughs> or I mean, I like, guess who went to the whorehouse we built? Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. That we dropped them off right in front of and had the girls like stand outside of and wave them in. You know, it's like the only place to get a drink as well. Like, you know, I don't know. It's just all these things. Like it really does make me I, I ask our listeners to like really ask yourself and like, you know, are you being insincere if you are one way with your spouse and another way? at lunch with your friends and maybe another way with your grandma and another way with your kids. Like, are you being insincere? If you have different sort of personality parts that sort of come out, are you being fake? Is it not your true self? I'm, I'm really curious about this because they're banking on the idea that your worst version of yourself is your true self. And I don't know if I think that that's like completely accurate. The scene in Sweetwater shows us the first little bit of evolution Billy has post season one. He was, you know, when season one started, he didn't talk back to, to Logan quite as much or anything like that. And here he is, Logan's dad, clearly his boss, very powerful guy. He gives him the old, the old well, you're not the businessman I thought you were kind of kind of stuff, which they might be son and father-in-law at this point, but still that's not really... Oh, I don't think Jim appreciated it at all. And he says as such, he's like, who are you to speak to me like this? You know, like this is not the way that you should speak to well, me. Well, he actually repeated old man in blacks lying back to him about... No one alive can talk to me like that or so, something mm. like something to that effect. Intriguing. Yeah. So you think that William like sucked that line up and uses it later? Yes. Gross and weird. Whoa. Well, okay. So then the the sitch is that he obviously does convince Jim Delos that they should invest all the money. But what's interesting is that there's clearly a behind the scenes agreement of some sort that William has with his now father-in-law because we know that he marries Juliet um, as we see at the Logan's dad's retirement party. We see, I'm just going to call him Jim. I'm going to keep, I know I referring him as Logan's dad's confusing Jim's retirement party, but it's so strange. And like, there's so many nuances to their conversation about that. Like, this seems like a coronation. This doesn't feel like a retirement party. That conversation um, felt like we maybe we'll get more about what they're talking about because what their arrangement was yeah because because he said i mean he's clearly sick and they kind of made him cough a lot to make it seem like 
he doesn't have long, but but then he's saying like, but maybe I won't need to to do. I he basically implied that he won't need to step down after all. Maybe that's going on with what what you're talking about with the cloning, or maybe mm. robot body, human brain kind of stuff. Because one of our listeners, Chris G, chimed in on uh, Facebook last week with a theory relating to the, what he called the brain light bulbs that that they yeah. plucked out. So. If you could put a human consciousness in one of those brain light bulbs and plug it into a host body, you'd be good for a long time, right? Right. I mean, it's pretty crazy, right? And if they could use your DNA to create your, the, the actual body, then, I mean, truly, it right now with science, like, what are you really missing? You know, if we could figure out the processor, I, I if you remember, uh, you were talking to me about how there's a new, uh, I don't even know what to say, procedure in which yes. you can download your memories. This is nuts, people. This is a real thing. This is not bullshit, or at least it wasn't presented me to me as if it were bullshit. It was at a lunch and learn. Right. No, I'm kidding. It's it's a process or procedure that will download your memories onto a hard drive. However, in order to go through the process, you have to die. Like for real, you're not getting up. It's over after the procedure is done. So you have to like very willingly go in to die. But they're but in the process of you dying, they're going to extract your memories. So they say the process is one hundred percent fatal. <laughs> my <laughs> God, no way out alive. But so then, if you think about that, though, like if right at this point, let's say that process actually works. Let's say that's true. If you think about what is death, what is dying, then really what they're saying is that your organic host body won't be able to deal with the stress. Your heart, your uh, circulatory system, your um, your actual uh, brain. We'll all poop out. But here's the thing. If we can put it into this light bulb contraption and using your DNA, we've already built built you a replica, perfect match to your own body. Then when you say, but you're going to die, I don't know. Are you dead? We have a perfect match to your body and all of your thoughts and everything in this light bulb that we're going to put in the socket. Did you die? That's something in transhuman or posthuman science fiction that is usually sidestepped the idea of uploading your consciousness well what happens to the to the concept of the soul yeah and that's that, the third part that and, you're missing and it usually is just ignored because you know when the person gets uploaded they start talking exactly like they did just five seconds ago when they were in their old body and everybody right. agrees yeah this is the same person and the person seems to act and behave and have thoughts as if they were themselves then it's almost like well I guess it doesn't matter about that other part. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I do think, though, that it is the missing puzzle piece. And it is actually the thing that I think that all of these hosts are seeking all the time. I think it's what when Arnold sits there with Dolores and has her read passages about in books about transformation and about change and about understanding yourself. I think that it is that mind, body, soul connection that so far we think we could we figured out the body. We know we've already in real life grown an ear on the back of a rat. We know we can build different body parts for sure. So body we've got 
mind, if that thing of what you're talking about actually comes to fruition, and people can download their thoughts and memories into a machine and be passed off, then we've got mind. But soul is the big missing piece. And that's the part that I feel like, you know, some people call it free will, some people call it other words, but I think it is that like, what, what is that little spark that makes you, you, you know, the way that you actually, your perspective on things. Can we replicate that? That I think personally, I'm going to say no. And that's why it's sort of, you get that dead behind the eyes kind of look to people like Teddy, you yeah, know, right? Yeah. because they don't have the soul. They have the mind, they have the body, but they don't have the soul. Right, right, right. So, okay, let's get into that retirement party a little bit more. We have um, this time Dolores is playing the piano, which is super creepazoid again choosing to have her as like a party pet you know uh to be yeah yeah so gross we also get an opportunity to see william with his wife juliet and his daughter emily now you might not have remembered juliet but if you guys can remember back to season one when abernathy finds that picture in times square it turns out that was juliet which means very much that man in black dropped that picture off in the in the field for Abernathy to find and see if it would short circuit the guy, you know, and see what would happen. And so you have Juliet again, Romeo and Juliet is the source material for these violent delights have violent ends. Uh, that is where that quote comes from. And of course, Juliet, as we already know from season one, commits suicide. So she is an interesting character with a whole lot of symbolism wrapped up in her. And we see that Emily is only like six or seven years old, I would say. Little. Yeah. Little. And already at this point, there's a lot of weirdness between Juliet and William and the fact that Dolores is there. I just put this together. Maybe you were like, duh. I think William planned the coronation, not coronation, the retirement party himself. Like he did not pass this off. This wasn't like, you know, Jim's wife or someone that put this together because the line about this is more like a coronation and then Dolores being on display at the piano and wearing all white and everything. This has got to be Billy doing all of this. And that's possible. I mean, the wife, Juliet, who's wearing black, she would also see that her dad is is uncomfortable here that this is not the kind of thing that he would have wanted for himself. And he's not happy and exuberant. Like he seems uncomfortable the whole time where he keeps being like, I don't really have to step down. We don't really have to do this. And when William says, I was fine with our arrangement. I'm so, uh, so freaking curious about what their quote unquote arrangement is. Yeah. The, the point of that conversation took on its own or took taken on its own would seem to amount to, well, why are we doing this? Why are we having our coronation here? Jim badly wants to back out, it seemed. And William was like, eh, nice try, sucker. You know, like he seemed like, oh yeah, no, I was cool with it. But anyway, you're retiring. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'm going right. to take full control over Delos. Right. He's like, oh, well, that, that's, that makes a lot of sense. Meanwhile, he's like ringing his glass to start the toast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like, oh, too bad you had, here's your hat. What's your hurry? Right. You know, all that stuff. Okay. So we do have Dolores head outside and she's just sort of like staring off into Nanaville. And Logan takes it like that they sent her out there to cheer him up because that's how Logan thinks. That is how Logan thinks. He's busy using some future drug that looks like Whoa. some sort of like quad heroin <laughs> or something. You know remind me of? You know how when they do those allergy tests and they push like that, like all the pins in at yeah, one time? Yeah. That's what that thing looked like. It was like all the pins went into his arm at once. All uh, the heroin. All the heroin. All the drugs. Might have been right. more than one. Good God. So he is a mess. Although even in his high state, he has this 
extremely prolific line. Yeah, he says, do you want to know what they're really celebrating up there? That, darling, is the sound of fools fiddling while the whole fucking species starts to burn. And the funniest fucking part, they lit the match. What does it mean? I took it as the people who support and continue to grow Westworld and then thus feeding whatever it is that they're doing with this market research and this other nefarious shit that they're making that they haven't told us about yet is going to kill the species one way or the other, whether it's the robot uprising or just the decline of man to the point where it's not really man as we recognize it anymore. Something in that, that vein. I definitely, I, I definitely touched on that same feeling of like, it may not be that the human species dies, but the concept of humanity. And again, that soul part, like what is it to be human, to have compassion, to have sympathy, to have empathy, all those things. Well, if you're just a body and a mind, I don't think you have those other things. And that's a pretty harsh judgment coming from Logan. Like he's looking at them and being like, well, those people are pieces of shit. Like, oh my God. Well, but William, this, is already you guys have to remember the timeline this is already after william has put him butt naked on a horse slapped that horse and sent him into the into the great beyond right. by himself at this point logan is probably a trust fund guy at this point you know like no power in the company and just spending money until he dies would you agree absolutely so then we have this end scene um having to do with this timeline that really upsets me a lot because it changes the character of Men in Black slash William in such a major way. So I, I just want to lay it out there. From season one, I thought that William had actually a good soul, right? And that he came into Westworld very wide-eyed, very innocent. He falls in love and over the course of decades basically gets his heart broken in such a ravaged kind of way. It is such the ultimate mind fuck to be in this world and have this woman never recognize you never you know have this same um love rapport with you and that's what turned him into the man in black now based on our timeline of emily only being six or seven years old we know that this was his bachelor party going to westworld we know that they were getting married right when he got back and it seems to me that I'm talking we're under eight years, somewhere maybe I'll give him 10. Let's say it took a little bit to get pregnant. OK, that means that he turned into this monster who is having Dolores sit there naked and he spends this extreme amount of anger and nastiness at her that's like unbelievably unwarranted. The man in black is the man who could could take a, a something that looks and acts and sounds a lot like a woman and drag her by her hair into a barn to to like, you know, do stuff with a knife. Uh, you, you saw that as something that took 20, 30, 40 years. That's what I thought to get to that point. And it turns out uh, he flipped that switch practically overnight in the 10 years mark. I mean, I'm sure that that actually he he had been this was just like a snippet of what he'd been doing in terms of like finding ways to bring Dolores back into his his life. And so this scene in the room with the windows where she's sitting naked 
is just sort of it does seem like probably more than the rest of those scenes because he does talk to her and tell her all these all but these terrible things. It just seems so unnecessary, Paul. Like to me though, it seemed like we were still like maybe the night of the retirement party. Like you drug this host to your retirement party to have them play, have her play music for you, and then you stripped her naked and you berated her. And told her that she was nothing but a thing. And you realized that it wasn't ever about her. It was about me and how she was really just about a reflection. And who wants to stare at their reflection? Everybody. And like just freaking annihilates her as a human being. If she was a human being, we'd be screaming like domestic abuse, like screaming, (laughs) screaming. But the fact that she's a host and she absorbs this, you know, and Part of the thing that I feel like, um, you know, moments like that make me think of, you know how like when you play music for plants and it's like the the sure. happy music, the plant grows and the sad music or the no music, the plant shrinks away kind of thing. Yeah. That feels like this. Like it feels like whether or not you think that this is a human, there is something organically living having to do with this thing that somehow you're like spewing a violent, disgusting language at her you are actually creating some sort of like internal decay having to do with her. And the fact that you need to do it while she's naked, like the absolute most vulnerable state that another adult human can be in made it feel not just mean, but also kind of dirty and and degrading. Absolutely. Awful, awful, awful. And I mean, obviously, again, we've seen him as an adult older man choosing to rape her by knife point. And we know that, you know, that was awful. Again, me thinking this is 50 years later that he's turned into this this monster. But no, I mean, he was acting this way. And even in a more personal, more, it wasn't just a host in Westworld. This appears to be in our world. And this appears to be like in, like you were saying, like a far more personal, making her naked sit there and listen to you yell at her. What kind of messed up person are you? You know, sincerely. You like abused a robot (laughs) by yelling at her, by verbally abusing her. Holy smokes. So weird. So you're saying if I got out Robo Sapien right now and started yelling at it, you'd be like, Paul, you're a terrible person for yelling at that robot. I would think you're like super disturbed to like sit there and try to make an what you're considering an inanimate object, try to make it. (laughs) feel less than you like yeah i would say that's like pretty disturbing stuff oh well post podcast plans have changed yeah like scratch that off the list stop screaming at robo sapien i don't know it's just so weird their last scene together is that he takes her back into the park there in their cowboy gear and he's showing her the gigantic earth movers that we got to see very briefly Uh, when Ford was digging up Escalante toward the end of last season. Now they seem to be creating a canyon. Or a valley, would you say? Or a valley. Right. That valley stuff seems to come up a lot this episode. The valley beyond. A lot of people think it means the afterlife. It reminds me of um, Stephen King's Gunslinger books. They refer to the afterlife as the clearing at the end of the path. Same Ooh. same kind of idea, right? I like it. I yeah. like it. I like it. So it's very cowboy stuff to think of 
some open area over there means you're dead. I feel like there was a lot of this this talk about this idea of like get wanting to get to know yourself um, that could have led to some sort of like, oh, the park's supposed to lead to all this introspection. But then the way that they kind of explained it this time with the looking at your own reflection and liking to look at it makes me think of selfies and the idea mm. of people taking selfies all the time and liking to look at their own reflection. Like, I don't think that that's an introspection moment where you're growing and learning. Right. I think it's a very narcissistic time when you're really like examining yourself and deciding whether this part or that part is good enough or whatever. Right. Introspection never involves a choice of filters. <laughs> Amen to that. But here's what I wanted to mention. But that made me think of this concept of how you were saying you could call it like the clearing at the end of a path. It reminds me of when people say that they go into the light also, like mm -hmm. go to the light or, yeah. or in the case of Carrie Ann. Stay away from the light. Go away right. from the light. It's not where you want to be. It's not where you want to be. Okay. But it reminded me of Icarus and it reminded me of this idea of being like so narcissistic that, you know, if you guys remember Icarus, he had wings that were put um, like adhered to his body with wax. So the closer he would get to the sun, it actually melted the wax. And then that, of course, causes him to fall to his death. This kind of like narcissism is part of what I think is also the the fiddler comment out of Logan that it's all like they're so narcissistic like they don't even they they sort of know what they're doing and they're celebrating it and like the joke of it is like they're the ones that lit the match and and all this kind of stuff so it's it is so layered there's so much to get out of this you guys I know you could watch this like 10 times over plus there's all these hidden content now between the things they're letting out on uh, Twitter and on their video website stuff my god so much right how are you supposed well, to keep track the, of it all the reddit people oh and if, the reddit if, friends if your brains aren't up to it and it's not a knock against you because it's not it's not something meant for most people to figure out. Reddit will figure it out for you. I, I love it because it is like a collective of brains that you get together. It's like hive thinking where you like can finally put all the pieces together. There was one more line that I do want to make sure that we touch on before we head out of this timeline. And that's this idea that, again, just to be like, I don't know what kind of dick William has to be all the time. But he when he takes her to that place the in Westworld. The biggest dick. The biggest dick. Um, he says that same line back. Have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? And he says it to her in such a way that's like so clearly mocking her. And, you know, again, this constant need to abuse her. I did not feel the mocking because it felt like very unironic that he was saying it back to her in this way. I think there was a smirk. I want everyone to go back and watch that scene and look at the way that William says it. William doesn't just look. When she says it, she stays staring out at the environment. When he says it, he looks back over at her. Mm. As if like, did you catch what I said? Which is like a slam, you know? But he's also, what makes me wonder is that he's a collector of statements. You know, the way he, that he, yes. he, he will, he like, in last season, he would repeat he would say, uh, a friend of mine used to tell me that there's a path for everyone and your path leads you to me or something. He said that to a few people. Yeah. And that is Dolores's statement. Well, you know? and now that we know that that uh, Jim Delos had that other line about, you know, few men would say that to me, blah, 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 blah. Right. That. And then obviously the Splendor thing, we know that's a Dolores line. Yeah. What if he is one of those weirdo psychopaths who like never says like actual original words. Wait, but wait, wait, I'm one of those psychopaths. Everything that everything that is not. said to me goes through a filter and is applied to my Simpsons database, and then I say something back from the Simpsons that applies. That 
is something that I do. True or false? False. Dough, Caroline. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean the type of person where they try to behave like it's their original thought. If you're just trying to be a quippy one-liner and make a joke out of something, that's fine. But I mean, he's trying to act like that was his original thought was to say that line that someone else clearly had already said. All right, you guys. So that's going to close down timeline two, which is directly after season one. And now we're going to launch into timeline three, which is during our, what I'm going to call the two weeks of chaos. So at the end of last episode, Angela rides up to Dolores and says, we found it. And that's when this episode ends. And uh, Mike and I were trying to guess what that would be. And uh, we figured correctly that it was either something that they couldn't normally have seen in their pre-woke state. Oh, yeah. And or a way into the guts of the park. So it turns out it's Sector 19's door that heads down into this underground fix-it center, if you will. It's like Manny's Fix-It Shop. Is that what it was called? What was (laughs) his name? Handy Manny? Yeah, there is such a It's totally Handy Manny's Fix-It Shop. And the guy with the tuxedo comes bursting down there and he's all like... That guy's just short on luck, right? Because he keeps living through these things. It just keeps getting worse and worse for him. What's the funny thing about him? There's something about his body type that is so obviously a stunt man. And (laughs) right? Am I wrong? No, you're probably right. Doesn't he like exude stunt man? He's got some natural padding to him. There's something to him that just like is like, I know you're a stuntman first, and then they put you in this actor role. And clearly he has to do a lot of stunt type things. I mean, he's thrown around a lot. I think he was one of the men who was running through the field when she was chasing him on Mm -hmm. horseback. But if you look at that scene, he looks like a stuntman running through the field. There's something about it. I can't just I can't describe it better than that. But that's it. So um, unfortunately, bad timing for a tux dude. State yeah, because this is the same door that Dolores and Angela and Teddy and all of the woke bots come in and they are not happy that they <laughs> they're there to question people and educate themselves and really get up to speed on everything going on that they weren't aware of before. What do you think about uh, poor Teddy and how they decide to uh, basically tell Teddy that there is no Santa Claus? The uh, educational process for the robots has to be, it's it's the ultimate Band-Aid ripoff, right? She uses the same kind of approach with the Confederado later, right? I mean, it's even a little worse for him. She Luckily for Teddy, she likes him, so he didn't need to be killed first, but... Still, this is pretty harsh, but he gets it. At least he gets it. The idea of, of what he is to the flesh and blood humans, he, he gets it right away. He, he even responds like you would because when, when the tech tells him that it was all just for fun, you know, and the idea of you killing me is just your fun was was too much for Teddy. Now, this is a real basic question, not really like a big thinker, but did you think that the white gluey stuff that they use in their 3D printers would burn when you you swirlied your face in it? (laughs) Uh, I didn't. I don't guess that I thought it would. Since it looked like milk, I thought it would be like, you know, gross, but not uh, burning. No, I mean, it has to be made of like chemicals. It's intriguing that the same material that makes a host would burn a human. I Mm. think there's something fascinating about that. 
Mm -hmm. That also implies that if the hosts are made of that, then they're obviously more, we know they are like more durable than we are, you know? Yeah. And the material is apparently, I'm going to even put in the category of like toxic to us because he's like coughing and burning and all this kind of stuff. So yeah, I just find that very fascinating that whatever they're made up of just, just naturally does not mesh well with our skin. Now there's some people that believe that Dolores is actually still um, behaving according to a pre-programmed selection of things that, that, that Ford gave her to do post going nuclear, right? Are you one of those people or not one of those people? Undecided because I could see it totally being true because she uh, appears to have lots of the answers. And this, this scene that we're on right now is an example of a time that she actually doesn't have the answers. It's more like she has the notion that she needs to know what the response is going to be when Delos sends in the cavalry, right? Yes. But she doesn't actually know what the response is going to be. Where in all these other cases, throughout the rest of the episode, when people are people ask her all these questions, she's like, yeah, I already know the answer to that. I know that. I know that because I've seen it. I know that. I know that. But I am going to go with, I'm, I'm in the camp that she's still on Ford's program. Okay. Um, and I say that um, obviously because, well, let's just talk about the Maeve interaction. and Dolores interaction. Because even though I know we still have to talk Confederados, I, I do think we should talk about that. To me, I feel like there is an ease in which Maeve behaves and is formulating what she says that is so much more organic and human-like than Dolores. Dolores is like this woman on a quest, but like a woman on a quest. Well, I think I think also feeding into that unnatural behavior is that she has the two personalities. And I don't know, I don't even mm. think it's going to be like a multiple personality kind of situation. I think it's going to more like be more like a schizophrenic situation where they're going to like a short out. Yeah, they're going to fight each other for dominance, you know, at, and it doesn't seem like like Prairie Dolores is ever going to beat Wyatt, but maybe she can, you know, and that would make her motivations and things very like uneven and unpredictable. And like, it seems like she would melt down at some point. You know? I agree. I, I definitely feel like she is still under whether it's 100 percent control via a Ford uploaded program or whether it's some sort of internal like this does not compute kind of issue with the way that she's like seeing things and the way that she's behaving the way that she's still trying to rely on like the confederado and she's still trying to like drag around teddy and angela and like has this sort of like attitude of still very much playing within the game feels like the polar opposite to me of like mave who is like dressed like a person out in modern society right. you know she has done the majority of her growth and information in the actual corporation setting as opposed to Dolores who's done the majority of now her like fight for change out in Westworld and so it seems like she's still like a, a member of Westworld whereas Maeve is like you're still playing the game like I'm looking at you from above and you're like a chess piece still you know you're still playing the game like Men in Black very similarly you know going out to go find you know a posse 
Maeve's not doesn't have that same tood. I mean, yes, she's got Hector, but there's something that just feels more like Maeve gets it and more like she can question what Dolores is doing, where like Dolores is still very easily manipulated. Like Maeve basically Svengali's her and like walks right past her. You know, like I'm not the Maeve you're looking for and just keeps walking, you know? Mm-hmm. So Dolores could doesn't have the same level of, I don't know what to call that, being able to manipulate others and stuff. Like she's just, she's angry and vengeful and it's coming from a totally different place. What did you think of Maeve's line where she says, revenge is just a different prayer at the at the their altar and I'm well off my knees? I thought that was a pretty biting remark to let her know the kind of what you just said that we're on completely different paths you and I and my path is going to look nothing like yours she wants to find this daughter robot and probably get out of there and that and call it good absolutely and the other thing that I'd, I'd like to say that I really feel that is important that that people go back and like look at look at stuff outside the show go read Twitter about how people are looking at this white woman versus a woman of color feminism moment here that was happening between Maeve and Dolores and this idea of when Maeve says and and your fight is your your way is the only way to fight And I thought that that is also just in this sort of like our current climate in America, I think there's a lot of attitude of like, well, you're not fighting in the right way, you know, whatever and whatever that is, like we all want a, a better world for our kids at any given time, right? But everyone's got this sort of like attitude with one another of like, well, but I'm doing it the right way and you're doing it the wrong way. <laughs> right. And it's sort of like this constant criticism of one another. We are admins of a Handmaid's Tale Facebook group. And <laughs> let the, me just tell you, <laughs> let me tell you, you might go into that situation believing that everyone would think the same thing. You would be totally wrong <laughs> that there are some people that want to pursue the show as a very intellectual kind of experiment that that's like exposing things about the way things are now and discussing them in this future tense to be like just to like holding up a mirror and and they can't just leave it at that. They have to actually name names and it turns out that there are lots of fans of the show that don't see it that way. Some see it as just a work of fiction. Don't worry about it. And some people see the things that are happening right now is not a problem. And they see themselves as completely sane people, just like these other people do. And they clash. <laughs> oh my gosh. All the time. And it, what's interesting too, is like, you know, I guess because maybe because we're homeschoolers, I do feel like I'm so much more open to the idea that there's so many different ways to get to the same end game. And, you know, the idea that like, it's fine if you homeschool, it's fine if you private school, it's fine if you public school, it's fine if you, if you choose to do a little bit of everything or whatever, you know, however you all get to the end, like we're all going to get to the end and there is no like right way. And I feel like that in in a larger way, the bigger question, and I feel like that uh, Logan kind of says it, he says, I hope your forever is blissfully short. It's like this idea that like, um, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. Okay. We all have the same ending. We're all going to get there in different ways though. And the idea of like, I'm living my life right. And you're living your life wrong. And there's only one way to handle it. No matter what it is, it's like, ha ha, we're all going to die. 
You know, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. So I feel like this entire conversation with Maven Dolores is really interesting, really worth delving into. Uh, I encourage everybody to rewatch it. And again, like go hit up some of those social media, because if you're just watching the show in a bubble uh, at home on your couch, you're really missing out on that part that Paul's talking about, like with handmaids, where it's like, if you don't get out there and start talking about it, you may not even know to question your own way you're looking at it. And it, it's an it's important thing to do because like Maeve says, if you're fighting for liberty, then uh, everybody should be free, right? Then everyone should have the right to walk on by if they want to walk on by. Mm-hmm. Intriguing. So let's get back to Miss Dolores. And well, let me ask you real quick on that prediction thing. So Maeve and Dolores are heading in separate directions, coming back together? I don't think this is going to be the last time they meet this season. Of Yeah, I agree with that. But are they fighting on the same side? Are they fighting for the same thing? Actually, no. I think in a lot of ways, Dolores could get in Maeve's way. I think so, too. And I think that Dolores is sort of coming from this place of like negative where I feel like Maeve is somehow coming from this place of more positive, you know, or hopeful even trying to find her daughter has a more hopeful thing as opposed to Dolores who's like, how many people can we mow down? Mm -hmm. You know, it's a it's a life versus loss kind of feeling like Maeve has accepted the idea that that the world is a dangerous place. And that's why she has Hector. But she's only got Hector, you know. Right. So and in theory. I don't know if Armistice is with them. Armistice, in, th- in theory, though, like if they, I, I guess, if they run across her again, she's on their side. But she's also only one-armed, so. Oh, man. Yeah, no. <laughs> nice. Okay, so then we have Dolores, and um, we have this whole moment with Teddy where he's having this, like, holy shit, looking through that iPad, realizing that he's been dead this whole time at various points, and it is super upsetting and insane. They decide that the way that they're going to move forward is to get the Confederados involved. And the best thing to do is to get essentially a higher up officer to take him back. It's not that the damage that's done to the hosts with the bullets and the knives is actually enough to shut them down. Right. It's that they receive wounds that on a human being would be fatal, which tells their computer, "Okay, do the death routine. Right. But they're not actually dead. Like, they're just being told to turn off, right? Yes. So when she goes shopping for corpses, I thought a better idea would have been to tell Jojo, fire them up, fire them all <laughs> up, you know? Because they had a, a a treasure trove of bodies there, you know? Yeah. But she decides to actually go get experienced fighters, or try to, anyway. Right. I mean, it's, a, it's kind of a drawn-out scene for what it is, and it is a cool... You finally get to see Teddy be a gunfighter in a very fast, like it's over before you know it, like, damn, he's good kind of kind of way. Do you know what was an interesting uh, little like screenshot that I saw? It's where they have the Confederados all sitting down at that long table and they compare it to the Last Supper yeah. painting. Yeah. Crazy. They're all standing in the right ways. Like one guy's leaning over, one guy's doing this one. They they match like identically. Now, I don't know what that means. I mean, the Last Supper, obviously, we're heading on to a crucifixion in a minute, uh, which what does that mean? We need that cross. You know, that cross at the white church somewhere. You know, we got to head that way. But they say they're going to head to this place called Glory. I don't know if Glory is another word for Escalante or somewhere else, but they use like 10 million words to describe the same place. Or concept, because some people seem to say Glory and they mean the place beyond the valley. 
and some people say glory and they mean actually glory. And then uh, Dolores gives us this other meaning that she has already seen glory and that it's a weapon. And then, you know, cue the credits. You know, the other, I'm going to throw out one more way to think of glory because this is the way that I think of it. When people say, like, I want to embrace that concept of glory or whatever, I think of it as like living up to your full potential, like living up to everything you could have ever grown to be. That's like the glory, right? That's like the big thing. That's what you're like shooting for, right? Okay. And so this idea that like for Dolores and the gang, reaching glory and reaching their full potential is like end game for them. You know, it's not death. Like humans think of it. It's like enlightenment. It's it's the the best you can be at that point. But I agree with you on this whole idea that it's not, if it's not a place and it's a weapon, what does that mean? I don't think it's a physical weapon. I do not think it's like a bomb. I do not think it's a laser. I do not think it's a Oh yeah. I thought it was gun. metaphorical, but I couldn't figure out what exactly it was going to be. I Okay. Skin, I'll, I'm going to be honest with you and tie it back to that verbal abuse with William and somehow this idea of this reflection of the person and somehow I, I feel like somehow their soul and that whole part, since that is just like this gaping hole in the whole um, reproduction of a, of a person, I feel like there's something that's like, you know, like, what does the devil have? What's the worst thing the devil can do to you? Take your soul, right? Right. I sold it's, my it's, soul to it's the, the devil. Primary bargaining piece for the devil. Yeah. But isn't that weird? It's not your body. It's not your mind. It's your soul, right? So the currency is somehow your soul. And could somehow that be construed into some sort of weapon? Could somehow she have control over your soul in some way? I don't know. I have no idea. I I think it's got to have this metaphorical part. Paul's giving me lots of eyebrows. But I mean, I just think that there's something that has got to be that some sort of emotional psychological type of something that is going to ultimately control other people if they start having ghost fights they're gonna lose me what's a ghost fight well you're saying soul so i'm assuming you're like a avenging soul comes around and kills all the bad guys or something no i didn't read it literally Just trying to, well i'm trying to think of how this would be on tv what, what you're talking about what if they could take your brain and your body and what if the hosts do create other hosts, right? But with your brain and your body, but then they, but then you're like abused. You're like essentially in hell. This scene and the scene where Billy has her out and, he, and he's giving her the splendor repeat line and we see the earth movers doing their thing. They're shown back to back. And in an ordinary television show, we would automatically assume we're looking at the same thing in two different points in time, right? Or you mean like sequentially? Yeah. Uh-huh. But this is Westworld where they have twisted the idea of how normal television narrative works. Okay. Now, what my brain wants to say, okay, this is the place that Billy showed her with the Earth Movers. There's something that's going to happen back when that project's done that, that is going to be meaningful. But it may not even be the same place and it may not be connected at all it's just that they're fucking with me because that's what they do on this show i thought you were gonna say that that's when he plants the seeds of those words about the you know it's so full of splendor and then if you take it out of sequence and he told that to her early on and then have her continuously say that like to arnold and to other places like continuously say that throughout but it was actually william's words not him borrowing her words then things could get out of sequence 
intriguing. Okay. Well, the wait, last... wait. What was oh, the, what was the rest of what was the rest of the content of the of the discussion that they had when they were looking at the Earth Movers? Could that scene have potentially been in season one? I can tell you what I have. Was she wearing her prairie dress? Yes. Okay. They were both in their full Westworld garb. Was he in his season one suit or some other suit? He's not wearing. He's not wearing black. So he's not wearing a white hat, though. I don't think. I want to say he's wearing like a brown hat, as weird as that is. I wonder if that scene comes from season one, but they're just saying something that they're not really supposed to see. You know? So he says something. He says that he has the answer to a question that no one's dreamt of asking. And he says, like, do you want to see something? And she's like, OK. And he takes her to Westworld and shows her what he's building. And he says, have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? That's what I've written. It's this whole part about the answer to the question that no one dreamed of asking. That's the part that's like, what are they talking about? That like of all the things that I'm zooming in on, those one liners is where I'm like, what do you mean? That's what makes me be like, you can't just mean market research. I mean, right? Pe people do that by cold calling my house and asking me annoying questions <laughs> for $7 an hour. Okay. You can't mean that to be... The whole point. You're thinking, like, do you shop at Lowe's? Do you shop at Menards? Menards. Menards. Definitely. We don't have Menards, but I, people always ask I us. I go to do North Dakota, wherever Menards is, do just so that I can have the pleasure of working <laughs> at Menards. <laughs> the pleasure. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Let us wrap this up with the man in black because we do have him on his own particular search. We determined in the last episode that Robert Ford has left him a game unto himself and that this game is meant for him, Paul. No longer is he going to be shut out. In fact, he is the lone player of this game. And he does what he did right away last season. He goes and rescues Lawrence. Do you know what was really interesting? Last season... Lawrence is straight up like this and he goes, motherfucker, when he shows up. This season, Lawrence is upside down like this and goes, motherfucker, says the same thing. It's like uh, Stranger Things. It's like one goes this way and one goes this way. <laughs> right. I'm serious. I'm he doing was this literally like, the upside down. I'm doing this hand motion. Well, what <laughs> is the upside down, right? The the inmates are running the asylum now. It's the upside down. Everything's well, not, delicious. Not all the hosts got the memo. They're not all as far along and part of it was the question mark is is it the age of the host like is it the oldest hosts are the most woke or not it's mentioned uh, when we get to the alazo scene that their loops are just playing out until they get to the end and and no one knows what's going to happen when that happens because they're supposed to reset them you know uh, at some point or get killed or get off track and then start their loop over again but that's not going to happen this time you know, right. So this is uh, one of Elazo's, not Elazo's, one of Lawrence's loops where apparently he gets uh, tortured to death by death by ants. That's so gross. So MIB comes along, kills all the motherfuckers in the room, takes Lawrence on a horsey ride down to Pariah. Do you know what I thought was more interesting about that scene was the fact that he had a really hard time killing them. Well, he didn't just blow them all away. In I mean, in the old days, he he couldn't get hurt, or at least not hurt badly, and so he has to fight. He has to fight like he's he can actually be killed now, which is quite a bit more carefully than you would do if you knew that you couldn't get hurt. I mean, when he took out Lawrence's town, 
in the first season, you know? Yes. He was basically just like in town square. He was just shooting just everybody. Just shooting people, you know? Yes. A, a very brazen way to go against, uh, you know, like a dozen guys also armed with firearms. So now he's got to do it a little differently. I mean, he does take buckshot to his hand. That's what. That's why he dropped his gun in the first place, you know? Yeah, and I do want to mention that um, going back to our like that they do borrow heavily from mythology. Um, there is multiple mytho- mythological stories of death by ants. So there's a Hindu um, mythology um, having to do with death by ants, and then there's also having to do with Zeus and um, I think it's called Aeacus, A E A C U S, Aeacus. I don't know that one. Sees uh, calling of ants covering a tree. Blah 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 blah. blah. Guess what? bad news anyway but you should definitely check it out and read up a little bit more about this concept of death by ants being attacked by ants um it's it's freaky bobiki and like has been around for a long time it's a very ancient way to cause problems there's kind of a a scene that's probably not too important with mib and lawrence in this pub where he this is this is an example of billy being a power gamer right where he knows that just like all of our muscle memory with Super Mario Brothers, you know, you know where to jump, where there's nothing. What? But if you jump, then the secret star comes out, right. right? The block appears out of thin air. Well, now he knows if you punch through this wall, a first aid kit is on the other side. Is that what he got out? A yeah. first aid kit? It was it was something to that would that would heal up his buckshot wound. It would like stitch him uh, up and seal him up. Yeah. I wasn't sure. I saw it was a red what looked like a box, but I wasn't sure if it was I don't know what. I wasn't quite sure what it was. Okay. First aid that of the makes future. A heck of a lot of sense. Yes. So, like I said earlier, MIB and Lawrence, they they get on their horses and go to Pariah where they, you know, if you recall, Lawrence had been Elazo in a previous life. And it turns out he's a better horse thief kind of guy than an El Lazo, because the new El Lazo is a pretty bad guy. He's he's played by former Breaking Bad bad guy, Gus Fring. Uh, what's his name? Giancarlo Esposito. Is that his full real name? Okay. But he, he brings a lot of gravity to his roles. He was great. Yeah. I was sad to see him be so short. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they, they come into Pariah. Everyone's dead. Oh, not everybody's dead. They're surrounding you, it turns out. How did you feel about the way this played out? Were you shocked? What did you think of the elephant story? It was a good story. And it's probably something that I'll, I'll remember uh, and and use in my own life because it was a good story. Quick recap, if you don't remember, it's the idea that like elephants in the circus are held down by one simple stake, yet they're like big enough and strong enough to pull a tree out of the ground. And the big curiosity is why would something so big and so strong be held down by such a small stake? And the moral of the story is basically that the elephant is held down by the stake when he's very small and he isn't capable of pulling away. And as he gets bigger over time, he just kind of wears out from trying to pull on it. And as he is actually large enough to really pull away, he's stopped trying to pull away. So I think it's possible that two things are going on. Man in Black is correct, that they that they ran through their loop and they got to the end, killed the city, and now they got nothing left. You know, there's nothing that happens after that. They're supposed to reset the city. Nothing's going to happen. So they're just, okay, now what? That story makes me think that the Alazo robot is woke, but he's not woke enough to know what to do. And maybe 
he was woke, but he also was programmed to stay and do what he does. Like the elephant, he's programmed to stay put. And so even though he's big enough and strong enough now to leave, he's groomed into not trying to leave anymore. Yeah. So I totally like that. And and even a little bit, I feel, do you think that William, it's possible, also falls into the same category of like this whole time he was like constantly being in Westworld and never was there really the sense that he should try to leave? And now this whole idea is like, you got to find the door and get out. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, this whole time he's been circling in, circling in, circling in. Now the idea that he could pull out is like, huh? Like, I, that's the bigger challenge is really to get out of it. I was not counting on Ford leaving little anti-Easter eggs like Elazo and his men. Oh, my God. Um, I mean, they spoke directly to him. They took what, what he was trying to do and aborted it, like, seriously. That was such a smart way to make it where the man in black couldn't do anything. I mean, to for all of them just to shoot themselves in the head was like... Oh, wow. That was a complete job that finished out. Like, there's nothing he could do. There was no sweet talking. There was no coercing them. There was no threatening them. I mean, they took themselves out of the game. I think it was possible that the, that those men could have killed him, but he actually made his argument. His argument would have worked, you know, but Ford didn't want it to work. So he said, OK, if if he wins the argument then kill yourselves. So the way that this ends that I thought this line was like very important is when Lawrence is asking like, well, where are we heading? Where where are we going? He says, we're going to the place where we're going was my greatest mistake. So I'm assuming we're heading back to that land that he showed Dolores because that matches her saying an old friend of mine showed me at once, you know, mm-hmm. uh, mistakenly basically or foolishly showed it to me. Because everything about Westworld, he takes a lot of ownership about. Yes, yes. That whole idea that he has the cabin and stuff. Holy schmoly, what the heck? He actually has like his own vacation land there. But then that also begs the question about like, who's a host? Is it possible that he's a host? Is Ford fucking around with him? Like, is he a host? I don't know. I don't know. So as this unravels, I mean, I think there's so many possibilities. I wish you guys that we could help you narrow it down. Uh, the the final uh, timeline that we did not get into was that fourth timeline of having Bernard um, and Stubbs and, and Strand and all them. And so we still don't even really know what's happening current day in the same way um, as we do during this uh these other three timelines were actually moving along. So do you think maybe in the next episode, are we going to hit heavy into timeline four since we really didn't even dabble into it at all this time? Is, is that a natural balance? Timeline four showed us basically, I think, a lot of the end of the season. Mm-hmm. So we may not actually get a lot of timeline four movement. Okay. Until like the very end. Until of the, the end or just little drips and drabs here and there. Because we've got the two weeks to fill in. And apparently now we have these historical timelines that we need to um, flesh out. And we're really not moving that far and that fast no. in the two weeks. I, I mean, mean just, we're, we're still on the same, seemingly same first night kind of thing. That tuxedo guy that ran in, I don't think this has been a couple of days. I think Maeve and... The Confederado slaughter was the same night, which could have been night two or three into the two weeks. Yeah, so we're not very far at all. Not very far at all, but hey, it's only episode two, so 
It shouldn't be very far, huh? No, not yet. Well, I'm looking forward to a ton more having to do with Maeve. I really want to follow her storyline more. They need to service that character they next really week. They really do. And Hector and all the stuff that's going on with with Maeve's plans because we really want to know more about her. Um, I feel like Dolores is a little bit harder to connect with these days um, because I feel like she is feeling like a machine on the fritz um, in a lot of ways. And it doesn't feel that good. I want to say like we, what you're going to need to do is unplug her and plug her back in and then <laughs> right. she'll be fine. Turning her off and back on again. Mm-hmm. She'll be fine. So I'm a little concerned about what, where, what the authenticity is of her wokeness it's 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 very suspect if if she's not following a fully pre-programmed plan then she will the two sides of her personality will just not be able to reconcile i don't think it's gonna happen i mean one is just too nice and one is too not nice yeah i agree wholly uh i badly want to see what was this arrangement between William and Jim, I want to understand what happened with Logan enough to understand how did he just get completely foisted out of the entire thing. I want to understand at what point is Ford going to have to off Arnold and how painful was it for all of us as viewers to realize that Arnold had a whole life planned. I mean, he had his son and his wife and everything building that home and everything and knowing that Arnold's going to die here. You know, Arnold is going to die and Bernard's going to take his spot. So I'm looking forward to finding out. You remember that Arnold took his own life, right? Well, we don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You can say that, but I don't know. If Ford programmed something to happen or whatever, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm going to hold back on that. I know that's what they told us, but I, I'm just, I'm, I know that they told us that he did it in order to try to, um, keep the park from opening but i would like to see how that actually plays out and see what how that actually you know what it really looked like and i really want to see these these couple of years where william freaking lost his marbles and is now turning into this like domestic abuse cyber husband to to dolores it's so messed up i don't even know what to say she's just my work wife it's not a big deal i know i'm in here with my nude work wife berating her Ah, no, no worries, Juliet. I'll be right in. Ah. Meatloaf for me. Oh, my God. And on that note, you guys, we hope that you have enjoyed our second episode of Westworld. I would like to thank Mike from Pop Culture for sitting in for me on episode one. That was fantastic. And we will absolutely have to have Mike join the two of us and get more of his input. I really, really appreciate him adding a whole different um, point of view to our fantastic story that's going on if you guys want to uh find out more about shows that we're doing and keep up with all of our podcasts you can hear us on dailyreview.com so many shows.com itunes podcasts catchers from all around the universe it all works and you can get us monday and wednesday on the so many shows radio show tv talk there we discuss seven o'clock central eight eastern that all different stuff about tv stuff we watch stuff we like we play games it's silly we have interviews sometimes it's great fun thanks a lot catch us on itunes or your preferred podcast software our website dailyreview.com that's d-a-l-e-y review.com facebook or twitter or wherever you find us please leave us a comment and a rating to let us know what you think of the show 
Thanks for listening, pot people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.